0: As I read 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. And hear the word of the living God. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints and has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise today for the hope we have in Christ. We thank you that you have in your wisdom and perfect plan chosen to reveal yourself here in your holy word. Would you grant by your Holy Spirit's testimony within us that we would see your word as your word, believing now that we have heard the very word of God as we have heard your word read. God, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Would you soften our hearts to the work of your spirit amongst us. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak? God of glory, sovereign Lord, speak to us. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The care of widows and of orphans and of the sojourner or the resident alien or the immigrant are themes that resonate throughout Scripture. You could go to Exodus chapter 22, verse 22, where there's an explicit command to the people of Israel that they should not oppress. and, And the counter would be that you should take care of the widow and the orphan, the fatherless. I read from Psalm 146, it's in the, the wisdom literature, it's in the uh, pro- Proverbs, it's in Psalms, it's in the Prophets, it's in the Law, it's in the New Testament, it's throughout it, right? We, as we just finished on J- in James on Wednesday nights, we just finished, i say, a few weeks ago, uh, James 127, right? Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you take care of widows and orphans. In their distress, if you want to showcase your faith, you take care of those who are most vulnerable. As Paul writes to his protege there in Ephesus, remember he's writing Timothy, he's appointed Timothy to be a, uh, an emissary, to be there until Paul comes to set up leaders to encourage the people, to combat false teaching, that there had been this false teaching, false doctrines had infiltrated the church. And one of the places, it seems, that one of the places that false teaching had infiltrated the church at Ephesus was on this very point about taking care of widows. Now, we don't have a lot of details as to what was happening. What was the corrupting influence? How was this twisted? But it's clear that the church body is expected... To take care of those who are truly widows. That Paul creates a category of widowhood that stands apart from just having lost a husband. This doesn't mean that honor should not be given to widows of all stripes, old and young. But what Paul is saying, that the church should take up special concern for those who are truly widows. Or as some translations say, widows indeed. Indeed that they should be concerned and take up they they should devote financial resources to it and it's all under the banner of verses 1 and 2 remember if you if you were reading the greek new testament or if you were reading this letter from paul to timothy in the in the first century there would be no chapter there would be no big five there there would be no numbers right it would just be Like you would write a letter, right? If you were writing a letter, which I know all of you do all the time. You write handwritten cursive letters all the time with multiple pages. And I know you don't use chapter titles. You might write numbers, right? Um, Here's page one, page two. Maybe some of you did this 20 years ago, right? Um, Everybody, if you just, how about this? Rather than sending a uh, Merry Christmas email this year, write a handwritten note, and it may, it matters more, right? And it lasts, right? I have, you know, anyways, I have my, my inbox. And uh, every now and again, I'll go back to the beginning. Because I'm that guy, right? I am not a uh, a zeroed-out inbox guy, okay? I don't know who you are. You're, you're madmen and women to me. Um, but I, it's just like a little repository of memories, good and bad, where I just go back and see... Uh, see all of the emails and some of them are great and some of them are bad, uh, but, but a note lasts around and it's better. So send a note. Uh, but, but, so when Paul begins to say, you know, don't rebuke older men and, and encourage, but rather encourage them as a father or admonish them as a father, uh, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters, that he's connecting, Paul's connecting this to what he just said to, to Timothy, That Timothy is to keep close watch on himself and over his doctrine. That that Timothy is to not let anybody look down upon him because he's young. It will be very easy to take that and say, I, you know, as as someone might say, I am the pastor and you have to listen to me. You know, if you're a parent, you know you've lost at that point. I am your father. You have to listen to me. Right. I've I've tried that. Uh, It hasn't worked yet. Um, uh, But. But it'd be so easy for a pastor in Timothy's position, he has the the backing of the Apostle Paul, he's got the credentials, he has the ordination, he has the the call to go to this church, it would be very easy for him to come in there and be heavy-handed. Even as, and this is the tension in the context of the church, even as he's trying to combat, he's trying to combat false teaching. And it is deadly false teaching. This is a sort of false teaching that will damn and condemn people and it will destroy the church. It's so easy to kind of dip into the wells of the flesh, if you will. Right. Let me get some of that unrighteous rage that's back there. Let me get some of that biting, ungodly sarcasm. Let me use some of that in this trade. And Paul tells Timothy, no, you have to engage in the ministry from within the context of family. You need to combat false teaching. You have to take a stand for truth. You have to preach and teach boldly. You need to be encouraging and admonishing and rebuking and building up and and tearing. You have to do all of this in the context of family. You can't forget who it is that God has given you to minister to, Timothy? Those older men that are like stumps in the field, right? If you're a farmer and you're plowing and you've got this gigantic oak stump in the middle, either you get rid of the stump or you plow around it, right? Sometimes now, this isn't it's none of y'all. There were times though, right, where you feel like you're ministering and there's people that are just they're immovable. They're immovable. And I, so I'll tell you a story, and, and it's not this church, so you're, you're safe. And this guy's with Jesus, so he's safe. Um, but at my, my first church, and I'll, I'll, my, my chairman of deacons was a World War II veteran, uh, not just a World War II veteran, but he was a machine gunner on Iwo Jima, right? And if you know, right, a machine gunner, a lifespan of a machine gunner on Iwo Jima was like minutes, right? Maybe, maybe minutes. Uh, So very tough man, right? Rightfully so. And it's a fascinating story. He's from this area. Uh, the recruiter came through, and it was he and his brother, and there were some other guys, and they said, You can go, uh, you know, either you, one of you pick the Navy, the Marines, or whatever, or somebody's going to come in and, and enlist you somewhere. Uh, and so his brother picked the Navy, and he picked the Marines. And they took him without going to machine gunner school. They, they, he just went straight from uh, boot camp at Paris Island to Iwo Jima. Without training, and by God's grace, he survived and got married and had kids and grandkids and was a, a blessing to his community. Right? If you go over to Blythewood, you start speaking his name around. Right? He's he's he was a blessing to his community, and he was a deacon at my at, at the church I was previously a pastor. He was a deacon there since I believe 1962. I started in in 2010 there, uh, and so well, and, and so just to say that. Uh, we there was a love there, right? I and I, the, I, I preached his funeral, so there was we we ended fine, um, but there was there was a lot of you know young pastor coming in believing I know it all. Anyways. Uh, you know, and there was a humbling that God had to do in my heart. There was a work that God had to do in his heart. And we have to come into the church understanding, as not just as a pastor, but as each other, that God has called us into family, that the work of the gospel in our midst means, it means that you and I are family in, in an eternal sort of way. That if you don't like each other now, right? If there's something here, that I don't know about. And there's a reason why you sit over here and you sit over here. Right? And so that you never, your paths never twain, so mixed or whatever it is. That, then fix that stuff. Right? Because you're going if, to, if you, if you make it at that rate, uh, you're going to be rubbing shoulders, so to speak, for eternity. Set it right before the Lord sets it right. But we have to do the work of the ministry, not just the pastor coming in, not just Timothy coming in. But we think about what has to happen in our church. We have to do it from the context, from the posture of family. It's so easy, right? It's so easy when you start talking about what are we going to do with the old building? What are we going to do with this building? What are we going to do with our budget? It's so easy to kind of dip into worldly wells and forget that we're family. So Timothy says, um, Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things over and over again in this, in this book. Command and teach, but do it from the context of family. But not only does the idea that we're family, not only does it influence how you do ministry and how you, how you think about the work of the church, but all of a sudden some of the commands apply differently to us. Honor widows who are truly widows everywhere else, I believe, everywhere else that Paul uses that language, that word honor, he is quoting, honor your father and mother. Anybody tell me where that, what's that, what's that from? Ten Commandments, right? Exodus chapter 20. Good job. So honor your father and mother. That means that right? if I'm if I'm if I'm brought into the family, if we're family. Then the command to honor my father and mother. Yes, it applies to Terry and Alexia Helsley over there in Irmo, but it also applies to you. That we're to relate to each other on that level. So that if there are widows in the context of the church, it is the church's job to take care of those who don't have family to take care of them. That Paul is basically saying you should set up a, a, a widow ministry and the qualifications, right? It's not just for anybody. You don't just write a check to anybody. But it's for those who, are, uh, who don't have other family and are godly. That they've proven to have the grace of God working in their life and there's no one else to take care of them. Because he says at the very outset, right, honor widows who are truly widows, who are the ones who are truly widows. Verse five, she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She is hoping in God. She has no one else to lean on. You see more qualifications in verse nine. Let a widow be enrolled or put on the list. If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, which, by the way, this is the exact type of language that was applied to overseers and deacons in chapter three, husband of one wife. This is the wife of one husband, a one man woman, if you will, Uh, having a reputation for good works. And she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of saints, cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. Now, there's a beautiful mechanism in South Carolina and not just in South Carolina, but in Southern Baptist life. But in South South Carolina, we have something called the Martha Frank's home, right, where we have a retirement place Uh, and we have two people or Wilma Campbell's actually on our prayer list. She's having some issues, but but Mad Strickland is also there. Uh, And this is a a ministry of South Carolina Baptists where when we when you give and we give money to the cooperative program, a percentage of that filters through the state and goes to support uh, a, 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 the Martha Franks home that's for retired ministers and for, uh, for other people who are in need of somewhere. When they retire, they're unable to take care of themselves. There's no other, no other way to go. And it's a really nice facility up in, up in Lawrence. Uh, and so there's a, there's a ministry function that's provided, but there's a danger here. There's also a danger here for, for families, for biological families, or for circles of accountability. Verse four, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household. Remember, this is this word godliness is rem, uh, related to. It's from the same root of the of train yourself up for godliness up in chapter four. Uh, so that they're to demonstrate godliness in the proximity of where they are. So the first place you need to practice faithfulness of G- to Jesus is where you are. The first set of relationships that needs to be transformed by the power of the gospel in your life is the relationships that you're already in. So often if you're talking to young men who feel called to the ministry or young men and women who are called to missions, And they want to go and they want to do these great things for God. And yet they have this circle of broken relationships all around them. The first work, dear one, before God is going to do great things with you, he's going to do great things through you there to seek out forgiveness and reconciliation. And in this case, children and grandchildren are the primary, should be the primary caregivers of those who are widowed. This is exactly what Paul says. Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, taking care of your parents. Some of you are in this boat right now. Some of you have been in this boat recently or some of you will be in the future. But taking care of your parents when they are unable to take care of themselves anymore, whether they're one of them's gone or not. That the first job that is that is your job first. Now, I know not everybody's the means for it. Not everybody's financially planned for it. Uh, and the church may be able to supplic- you know, step in the gap here or there with certain things. But Paul's saying you need to show godliness, faithfulness to Jesus and make a, some return to their parents and to their grandparents. The Greek household went beyond our American household. A Greek household, right? American household is typically right. Mom, dad, 2.4 kids or whatever. Um, you know, some of some of us, it's. Mom, dad, and, you know, more kids. Um, looking at, I'm looking at JP. He's got, got more than I do back there. Uh, but but the, the, the Greek household wasn't just um, a mom and a dad and the kids in the home, but oftentimes it was mom and the dad and the kids in the home, the parents in the home. Maybe there's an aunt or an uncle or some cousins. Like it was a, it was a bigger web. And so that there should be responsibility for care taken in their circle of accountability, right? Who's in your circle? For whom are you most accountable? This is a, it's a rhetorical question for you to ponder, right? Who are, you, who are you responsible for before God? Who is it that you need to show faithfulness to Jesus by serving them and making sure that they're taken care of, making sure that they have what they need, they need, And it might be your parents at some season or it might be somebody else. But that is the first place you need to demonstrate faithfulness to Jesus. This this is a principle. This is a principle for following Jesus. That faithfulness starts in closest proximity. That's a principle for you. That's a principle for you and your wife or your husband. That's a principle for your family and for our church. You have a greater responsibility for those who are nearest to you for one you know their you know their need better than anyone else but secondly you you you're in the closest proximity to give them give what they need when they need it that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing things overseas and doing things far away but that we for example right we we're building we have a relationship with the um, Kevin and Lisa uh, in, in Mongolia, right? We want to take care of them, we want to pray for them and continue our financial support of them. Uh, we're building this relationship with Puerto Rico. Uh, there might be some other strategic pl- partnerships along the way, but we have a but but that, that those things don't mean that we do not have a greater responsibility for where God has us. We have a great the greatest responsibility is for our circle of accountability. Our circle of accountability is Elgin and Kershaw County, right? Right, in North. We'll, we'll, we'll allow some of y'all Richland County folks to come and step into the blessings <laughs> of Kershaw County, um, of, of Elgin, that you could come on over. But we have a. We, this is where we are, and then all of a sudden, where you are, right? We, we're saying we're going to take ownership, not as though God isn't the owner, but we're going to take responsibility. For the sphere of influence in which the Lord has placed me, so that means for me, right? I'm going to take most responsibility for Sarah Beth, for Evelyn May, and Henry, and James Allen, and Chapman, and take responsibility for for them. I'm going to take responsibility for my, you know, my mom and my dad, and my sister, my uh, for Johnny, my brother in law, my two nieces. Right? I'm going to I'm going to take responsibility for them, praying for them, and if and if needs should arise, I'm going to do our best to step into it. But also for our church family and the connections that God has given us here, that we have to take ownership for it. right? Christian, you, you can't look over the heads of the people that God has given you to love and to serve in order to love and to serve other people. You understand what I'm saying? Don't, don't look over people, that there are people that are in your, if you will, your web. I'm trying to use various images, right? If your life is a... We're, it's, it's Christmas time. So if your life is a snow globe, <laughs> there are people that are in your snow globe right now. They're, they're already connected to you. They're already connected to your family. They're connected to your home. They might not know Jesus. They might need to meet and counter the living God. There are people within your snow globe that are in need. They might know Jesus, but but they are without resource. They need need food. They're having trouble paying their bills. There might be a way for you to step in the gap. And I know some of y'all are doing this. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I know for some of you, it's burdensome. And you're praying that, that you've taken responsibility for somebody else's mother, for somebody else's father, for somebody else's sibling. And I want you to know if that's you right now, that you are doing the Lord's work. As burdensome, as stressful, and as stretching as it is, you're doing something that represents Jesus. For others of us, right, there's, there's someone that the Lord can put on your mind right now that, that they, need, they need hope. They need the touch of Jesus' presence through Jesus' people. It might be one of your parents. It might be where you, your relationship has been estranged for years for whatever reason. But now they've come into the rocks and they need help. And what better way to demonstrate the gospel of God's love to the unworthy than by loving the one who has not earned your love? This principle that Paul is elaborating here can go a million miles in your life. But prayerfully say, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to take accountability before God for the people that he's placed in my path. He's placed in my workplace. He's placed in my neighborhood. Placed in our church. So enroll those who qualify, but there are exemptions. But, verse 11, um, well, just to kind of the word of warning, right? Verse eight, if, if you're not going to take care of your household, your oikos, that's not just Greek yogurt. That means household in Greek. You know Greek now, right? You've gone to the grocery store and you know Greek. Oikos, uh, Oikos. oikonomia is where we get the word e- economy. Okay, anyways, uh, that oikos is that if you're not going to take care of your, your, your oikos, your household, your extended network of relationships, Familial relationships primarily looking at in verse 8, you're worse than an unbeliever. That's rough ground, Christian. And as you take assessment before the Lord of where He has you, consider where He has you, are there any that you have, for whatever reason, you've overlooked their need? You're, you're saying, you know, uh, you know, whoever it is, you could say it's your mom, just for example. She got herself into this situation. My brother and my sister, they got themselves into this situation. I don't... You can throw your hands up. And what I'm trying to say to you is that that is an opportunity to showcase for the world to see, but before God, to showcase that you've experienced the gospel of Jesus, that you've believed upon Christ, Because how easy could it have been for God just to say, you know what? You put yourself in that mess. You loved your sin. You rebelled against me. You had other gods before me. You refused my word. I'm going to throw up my hands at you. Is that what God did? I've got my MC mic. No, that's not what God did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if your life is to be molded and shaped by that good news of Jesus, especially during this good news season, every season is a good news season for the Christian, but this is good news season. And if your life is to be molded around the good news, then love those who are unlovable. Some of you have family that are are addicted to whatever. Whatever. And over and over and over again, you've poured out yourself, and it's, you've just seen your love and affection, your money, and everything else fall upon and be crumbled at the rocks of their addiction. That you might be, have to be wise in how you step into that in the future, but you can't throw up your hands. You can't, you can't do it. Yeah, you might make a move out. You might quit paying their bills, but you still make sure that they're fed. Still make sure that there's, there's some taking care of happening somehow. I know you're walking a line there, but you cannot throw up your hands. Because Jesus hasn't thrown up his hands with us yet, and he's not going to. And I don't know about you, but I lean on that a lot. Because it feels like there's a lot of times where Jesus could just be like, you know. If it weren't for that verse, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? If Jesus were to somehow change and he changed his mind, I'd be in trouble. I don't know about y'all. I know about you, actually. You would be in trouble too. Um. (laughs) Um, but, But Paul's saying the church should be a safety net, but you cannot outsource your responsibility to the church. You cannot, you ought not, Outsource your responsibility to take care of those who are within your circle, your sphere, within your snow globe. You shouldn't outsource that to the church. The church can help, the church can supplement, but don't ask the church to be doing that which you ought to be doing if you have the means and the capability and all that kind of stuff. Nor, this isn't in this text, but just by consequence we could say nor should you outsource your responsibility to the government Mm. it's not medicare's job it's not medicaid's job right now i'm not this is i'm not getting into all that like but don't say well the government's going to take care of them have you ever been have you ever been Now, if you run one of these or you work in one of these, I'm not intending to be offensive to you. But have you ever been in a uh, nursing home assisted living that is primarily dependent upon government funds? One. And then have you ever been in in a nursing home assisted living that's that's paid for with primarily private funds? Have you seen a difference? I remember the first time that... I, that man, uh, that my chairman of deacons, he was taking me to all of the shut-ins, all of the homebound people. And there was a man who was a member of the church who was, had a stroke in his like 48. Uh, and yeah, it's terrible. And anyway, it's a whole story, but he he drove me up to a a, a place up here. I'm not going to say anywhere. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you where it is. Um, but if you ask me, you know, should I send my mom or dad here? I'm going to tell you. God forbid, right? Uh, that so he drove drove me up there, and I it was a traumatic experience for me. I've been in a lot of nursing homes, assisted livings, so like going up, growing up in the youth group with my parents. We'd go visit people, we'd do stuff, uh, but I'd never seen anything like this. And it might just be that facility, but don't all of, the whole point of this is. Uh, Don't depend. Don't outsource your responsibility. Not only are you going to do disservice to the ones that God has given you to care for, whether it's your widowed mom or your widower dad or somebody else in your family, but you're also going to short circuit your own spiritual growth. The only way you grow, you know this, in any area of life, But you know this for following Jesus. The only way that you are going to grow spiritually is through the difficulty of greater responsibility. This is how our children grow. Right? This is why we're trying to teach our kids to do chores around the house. I can tell you how that's going. But you you did this as, you know, this is how we do our our children. This is how God is telling you to to, to lead your life. Take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for your spiritual growth. Take responsibility for your financial life. Take responsibility for yourself. That's not an ungodly thing to say. You're made in the image of God. Take responsibility for yourself. But also begin to take, take responsibility for those that the Lord has given you to take responsibility for. And through that difficulty, that, that's hard, y'all. Can I tell you, you're getting a lot of like, this is just Jacob time. I feel like I'm giving you, but they, they matter. It's, a, it's not just a random story, right? Story time with Uncle Jacob. Uh, that when I, when, you know, when I. I was telling, I've told the story a lot recently from meeting the people in Puerto Rico or some, some when visitors have come to the church, just like, what's, this, what's our story with Blaney, right? You know, we came, uh, I don't know if you remember this, you know, um, the, the, the Sunday that some of y'all voted me to be the pastor and right? I preached and God led us all into this wild adventure that we've been on. I asked Sarah Beth to marry me two days before, like August 8th, 2014. She said yes, August 10th. I preached here, uh, and then we're off to the running. We're married uh, June 20th, 2015. Evelyn May comes October of uh, 2016. Uh, and all, all of a sudden, right, I, my, whatever my res- responsibility stretch meter was, it was redlining. <laughs> you know, here's this church. Here's this wife. Here's this child, and then a couple years later, here's another child, and then it was just like a stretch, 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 and that's hard, y'all. You begin to have to think differently, and live differently, and wake up differently, and spend your money differently, but that's how you grow. There's no easy road here, so take responsibility for yourself, and take responsibility for that which, and those for which God has given you to be responsible Um, But he's saying, and that's precisely the point in verses 11 and following about younger widows. That they still have the capability to go get married and have kids and and take after a, a home. That there should be a taking responsibility. That church should not take responsibility for them and for their financial life. If they're still able to marry or still able, as we might say today, still able to take care of themselves, get a job, find a husband, have a life of being responsible for themselves. It should not be the church's job to support them. And this I want you to see this principle also, and I'll wrap it up maybe that this is there is a danger, danger, danger with free money to those who are capable of taking care of themselves. And I did not, that's not just, I'm not just bringing that into the text. That's not eisegesis, right? Look at what happens. But refuse to enroll younger widows for their passions will draw them away from Christ and they'll want to marry. And they'll forget their their previous faith or probably their their previous vow that they've made that they would remain single. But besides that, this is how they learn, right? When somebody has had had everything handed to them, when they are capable of doing it for themselves. For these younger widows in Ephesus, Paul can say they're receiving all of these things and they're learning to be idlers, right? They're idle. They're not doing They're, They're. You should be in this world building, laboring. Doing something for Christ, building a family, having a home, laboring in the kingdom, having a job, doing. Right? Work is, as I said a few weeks ago, work is not a bad thing. It is a good gift. They become idlers and they're going about from house to house, not only idlers, but gossips. So the church ends up bankrolling sin. You can be lazy, you can gossip. And they become busybodies. How <laughs> much Saying what they should not. And so if the church is saying, we're going to financially support every widow, we're going to give you free money, even though you have the capability of doing something about your predicament where you are right now." Free money is never free. And when you, give, get, you just hand out stuff to people, You, this is another sermon that I don't need to get into, but it is not only spiritually deadly, it is fiscally deadly. It will kill the church and it really ruins a culture. It ruins a society. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. This is the final point. Give the adversary, give Satan no occasion for slander. Verse 15, for some have already strayed after Satan. How have they strayed after Satan in Ephesus? The church was bankrolling these widows who did not need what was given to them, but they learned dependence upon what was given to them. And then they turned around and began to destroy the fellowship of the church. That what we're talking about here, your sphere of influence, your snow globe, your network of relationships, you taking accountability for that and for yourself. Here is the ground of spiritual warfare in your life. Yes, it's a battlefield of your mind and all that stuff. And you want to be setting your mind on Christ, setting your mind on what is beautiful, noteworthy and true. But this is a spiritual battleground for you and for this church. Not that we're somehow bankrolling, you know, we don't have all that money to give away to all these people. Um, but if you're refusing to take responsibility for yourself and then the church is trying to take responsibility for you and other people. Anyway, when we, this, is a, this is a spiritual battleground. It seems very practical because it is. But Satan will worm into the everyday, everyday stuff of your life to bring ruin upon you, to bring defame upon the name of Jesus. to sideline the ministry of a church so consider what christ has done consider that he has not thrown up his hands at you that he welcomes you with all of your garbage and for some of you you need that for the first time you've never known that jesus welcomes you as you are that your neediness your brokenness isn't what disqualifies you from the gospel, but that's actually what qualifies you for the gospel. You need to come to Jesus and let Him reorder your life. For some of you, there's that one person that you know right now, you need to take responsibility for them. For whatever that is. You need to take responsibility for their spiritual life. You need to be praying for them, praying that they would know the Lord. They might need physical financial support from you in this season or for a while. Ask for God's grace to repent of the path you're on and to step in faithfulness towards Jesus. To see the needy that are already in your midst, already right before you, and say, how can I show Christ by what I do, not just what I say? And if you're the one, right, you've got an easy... You've gotten, you're living off of somebody else's provision when you should not be living off of somebody else's provision. Can I say it that way? You're living off free money when you have the capability of doing something else. Stop and do something else. I'm not trying to be like your ornery grandfather or uncle or whatever else. But for your own sake and for the sake of the people that are supporting you. Go out, find a job that supports you. Take your time and redeem it and do the work of the Lord. Do the work that the God has given. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for how your word, it unpacks and examines us in your spirit. And Lord, even through all of this, I pray if there are some who they haven't quite understood the good news of Jesus, they've never considered that he has not and does not give up on them, would you prick their hearts and awaken them that they might come in faith to Christ to say they need new life. They need what Christ offers, forgiveness of sins. Removal of the wrath of God. Hope in dark days. Would they find it in Jesus? Would you give your people, your children, this family vision, eyes to see, those who are in need in our midst, whether they are widowed parents or grandparents or aunts, widower fathers or grandfathers, or others, family connections or others that might need more of us and as we give more of us, would those in need receive more of Christ and his love? And Lord, I, finally, I pray for, for those who need conviction about they've been, they've been lazy. They know it. You know it. They've lived off of somebody else's handout for too long. Lord, would you give them grace to find a new way before you that they might build rather than consume in this world until Christ comes. So do your work amongst us. Build your church through your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.